My friends, we live in some pretty amazing times. Technological marvels surround us. We may not yet be to lightsaber technology, which young me would be very sad, you know, growing up with the name Lucas, Luke, I got called as a kid. I was pretty tied into Star Wars even then. But there are some pretty amazing technological marvels nevertheless. Why, just this week, I was able to have a conversation spanning from Alaska to Tulsa to Detroit, even to London, Shanghai, and Jakarta. Last month, Eric reported that the church's website, trinitychurchbixby.org, if you're paying attention, was visited by people in 20 different states. There was a time when visitors from 20 different states would have had to coordinate to visit a church all in the same month. Now it's easy and happens almost seamlessly. Now I want to show you something else that is amazing. There it is. <laughs> this is an image of the work of the artist Sam Van Aken. It's not a painting, it's not a photograph. This is an artist's rendering of a tree. But it's not the art. The art isn't in the rendering, it's in the tree that this is a rendering of. Sam Van Aken has taken an ancient art and science horticulture and found a way to graft stone fruit trees together. Not just two or three, this is in a series that he calls the tree of 40 fruit. There are 40 different fruit tree branches grafted onto one trunk here in this image. And this is what it will look like, all the riot of different color blossoms blooming all around the same time. 40 different fruit, all grafted onto the same trunk, sharing the same sap and the same nutrients. In the spring, it bursts out into a riot of color like this picture, and in the summer, its fruit is free for the picking. It's available to anyone who walks up. They've been planted, he's got over a hundred of them planted all over the country in different cities, and they're all on common land so that anyone can pick the fruit when it's available. Planted for the enjoyment of everyone, whether you have gold or locusts, Sam Van Aken has planted so many of these, from New York to Portland, and he's done his best to make sure that the trees will be cared for even after he's no longer around to do so. As it happens, they don't need any more care than a normal fruit tree of these, uh, any one of these species. Once the grafted branches are secure and have been made part of the actual plant, uh, it's like they're one tree despite their radically different origins. Now, the tree of 40 fruit is the sort of righteous project I love to see. Something that offers food for the hungry, for everyone who is hungry. Righteousness, you see, is not, uh, rather is, a combination of justice and mercy. Righteousness means justice and mercy brought together. Okay, admittedly, we don't use it that way much in English anymore, but that theological concept of righteousness predates English, and so we're going with the old meaning here. Justice, mercy, brought together, that's righteousness. That's the kind of righteousness Jesus described in the Matthew text this morning when he says, allow me to be baptized now. This is necessary to fulfill all 
righteousness, justice, and mercy. When Jesus tells the disciples in the Great Commission a little bit later in Matthew, chapter 28, so a lot later in Matthew, uh, to go, therefore, into all the nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus is telling the disciples and us to baptize in righteousness, too. To be baptized in the name of God means to be chosen to follow in God's way, to be a little Christ, a Christian, Christ, the little, a little Christ, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit as Jesus was. But Pastor Lucas, you might say, I was baptized as a baby, so I don't remember it all that well, but I'm pretty sure that every baptism I've been to since then didn't end up with the heavens opening up, a dove descending, and God calling out, this is my son whom I dearly love, I find happiness in him. To which I can only respond, are you sure? Because you're certainly familiar with those words. As you may know, Three of the Gospels tell of the story of Jesus' baptism. And the fourth at least mentions that Jesus was baptized by John, even if it doesn't tell that story directly. In Mark, the earliest of the Gospels to be written, God's voice and descending dove of the Spirit appear only to Jesus. Luke follows suit, leaving only the Gospel of Matthew to have God publicly claim Jesus at his baptism. Only in Matthew do we find God speaking to everyone gathered there, not just to Jesus. Yet it's at this moment in Jesus' life, as he rose from the waters at John's urging, that the people first hear about Jesus as God's beloved Son, and the Spirit manifests with him. Let's talk about that spirit manifestation. The form of a dove is not a usual spirit, uh, rather symbol, for the Spirit in the Hebrew Bible. It was by the time of Jesus' baptism, but the Hebrew Bible uh, shows the dove as representing usually the people of Israel themselves. They found identity with the dove sent out by Noah who returned in peace carrying the olive branch, representing fruitfulness. Later in the exile, they found comfort in the mournful cry of the dove. And the prophets Isaiah in chapter 38 and Ezekiel in chapter 7 relate this comfort of the mournful cry of the dove. Doves were also sacrificed for atonement in the temple. And the Talmud and the various Targums compare the binding of Isaac to the rock when he's about to be sacrificed to the way doves stretch out their necks before they are sacrificed. So doves represent Atonement, sacrifice, mourning, return, and the people of Israel. And then later we get the Holy Spirit encapsulated in this dove image too. That's a lot in one symbol to be brought together. But that mourning cry of the dove in exile brings us to the verses from Isaiah that we read earlier. In the chapter before Isaiah 41, God says to the people, You, Israel, my servant, I have chosen you and will not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. You, Israel, my servant. 
When we get to the scripture for today in the context of exile, the servant referred to originally identified the whole people of Israel. We read it today often as pointing to this servant of God is Christ, but the original context was the whole people of Israel are God's servant in the world. When God says in our text from today, my servant won't cry out or shout aloud or make his voice heard in public, the term cry out is the same as the cry of the morning dove, the same word for the cry of the dove. We also see God saying, here is my servant, my chosen, my beloved, who brings me delight. I've put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. Remembering that that meant originally all of the people of Israel, no longer would they cry out like a dove because they would bring justice to the nations and delight to God. When Jesus is baptized, then in the Gospel of Matthew, God makes these same claims that had been general, specific to Jesus. This is my son, my beloved, in whom I have delight. This echoes so beautifully the Isaiah 42 text. The spirit descends to Jesus in the form of the dove, meaning the whole people of Israel. And if you turn the metaphorical page, immediately the dove leads Jesus into temptation in the wilderness, just as the Hebrew people had been led into the wilderness after God reminded them of God's love for them through Moses in Egypt. What had, become, what had been general became specific in Matthew's gospel. And then Jesus makes it general again at the Great Commission. We go from general to specific to general again. Baptize all nations, all foreigners, is that word nations. You see, when you are baptized in the name of God, the Father, Christ, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you descend with Jesus into the depths of the watery chaos and rise again with Jesus into the same spirit and the same promise of God that Jesus did. We have here our baptismal waters. And I encourage you at some point after the service to dive in and rise up, remembering your baptism in that way. John Calvin compared this diving down and rising up, this whole baptism process indeed, to being grafted into Christ. He used that horticultural language, that in our baptism we are grafted into Christ, your own branch on the shoot of Jesse, the mighty trunk that nourishes you with the same nourishment of your neighbor branches. Yes, you might be an apricot and your neighbor a plum, but you're both nourished and supported by the great trunk of Christ. If you were baptized as a child, it's because your family knew even then that God calls you a beloved child and wanted to recognize that publicly. If you were baptized as a youth or adult, you made that same statement yourself, that God has called you and that God has loved you from the very beginning, just as God loved Jesus Christ and said, this is my beloved in whom I am pleased. If you've never been baptized, don't worry. God calls you a beloved child too. 
and there's still time to make that announcement public. The sacrament of baptism is a public recognition of that love, an acknowledgement of that grafting, not the act that grafts. Jesus' act by baptizing made that graft a reality for all of us. Graft in the sense of horticulture, not in the sense of taxes and politics. We're not going there. When we are called to remember our baptism, we are called to remember not only that we are connected, like the branches of the tree of 40 fruit, but what we are called to do as a result of that connection. In the servant song of Isaiah, God goes on to tell us what that is exactly. I, the Lord, have called you for a good reason. I will grasp your hand and guard you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to lead the prisoners from prison and those who sit in darkness from the dungeon. The first step to overcoming darkness of any sort is to open your eyes. See the beauty of the tree of life, whose trunk is Jesus, whose branches are you, your neighbor, and everyone's neighbor, stretching backward and forward in time, whose nourishment is the Spirit, and whose light is God. Fulfill all righteousness, you beloved child of God. Act in in justice and mercy, and you will do right by God. And remember, truly, your baptism is the same baptism of Jesus Christ. In one baptism, we are all grafted into the one tree, the one life. And so may you be bathed in God's light that you grow good fruit. May you hold tight to your baptism in Jesus that you follow his way. May you be nourished by the Holy Spirit that you know truly that you are a beloved child of God. Amen.